What is up, everyone? This is Raphael Garcia here with Shuan Humes for episode 210 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is Wednesday evening, June 30th. We are halfway through the year, Shuan. How are things going your way? And on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you rating your halfway mark of 2021? Uh, not too bad. Probably like a seven. I got to I got to move again. I don't like moving, so that's gonna be awful. And then I got to help the other the three kids move, which is gonna so it's like four different moving situations. I'm not looking forward to July or August at all, to be quite honest. I'm just I'm ready to be done with it already. Where are you moving? Uh, just I think moving closer to Colleen. I'm in Belton right now, which is a uh, more like I guess. Further out, Central Texas, not too far from Waco. So just picking up and going again. And then get one kid moves to San Antonio, the other two are moving to Colleen. And apart, one's going to live in an apartment, one's going to live on the dorm campus. So it's going to be busy last month and a half of the summer. So you're going to be the one doing all the heavy lifting, huh? Uh, probably have to do some. Last time we moved, I spent like clearing out the house and moving stuff. I probably... I probably spent close to $2,000 moving everything and getting stuff delivered and brought in. I make money as a trainer in basketball because I don't even charge that much. And I just had like $4,000 in cash and I just paid them off in cash. It was pretty nice. I don't blame you on that at all, my friend. Um, I'm sure the girls will appreciate it, though, and everybody helping out will as well, too, over time. If they don't, then stop doing it for free. Tell them to I'm blocking numbers after they move out. They got to call their mom, and she has to let me know what's going on. I ain't taking no direct calls as far as bills or assistance anymore. You didn't want to hear it when you're in the house. I ain't got nothing to say to you once you're out. That's my dad's rule. True, true, true. So let's um, let's everybody let everybody know what we're talking about today. So we have a pretty good show today, uh, mostly boxing heavy. But before we jump into that, I want to let everybody know, as always, they can catch the MMA Ratings Podcast in multiple places, specifically on YouTube, first and foremost. Go over to MMA Ratings on YouTube to catch us there. MMA Ratings Net and MMA, MMA Ratings.com is our flagship. You can go and check out all of our written pieces there, and our podcast is there every single week. Um, you can hit us up across multiple networks, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public. And Spotify, you can check out this show and the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast, which is another one that I do. And Shawan and I are here every Wednesday to cover everything in the world of boxing and combat sports across the board. Today, we'll be talking about Javante Davis's big win over Mario, Bar- uh, Mario Barrios from Saturday, Vasily Lomachenko defeating uh, Masayoshi Nakatani. Surreal Gaye picking up a big win over um, <clears throat> Alexander Volkov and his, the sudden news about his title shot that is coming at UFC 265. So, Swan, let's go ahead and jump into this first and foremost, talking about Javante Davis defeating Mario Barrios and looking at just the way the fight community as a whole is talking about all the action from this weekend. This was definitely the biggest fight of the weekend, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, it had the most, it was a pay-per-view fight. It had the most fanfare. It was the most, the fight that was set up to draw the most attention. I mean, what he was doing, moving up two weight classes, fighting a, a belt holder, not necessarily a world champion, but a belt holder, it just draws a lot of eyes. Because a lot of the people he's fought previously, he's had a couple good names, but a lot of guys he's faced have been 
outmatched in size or outmatched in talent. So by moving up two weight classes, he can still fight a guy who on paper then he's better than as far as accomplishments and skill sets and talent, but would draw a lot of attention because he's making such a huge jump from one weight class to another. So he's not necessarily fighting an elite guy, but the weight, the difference in weight makes it uh, seem a little bit more even. It seem, makes, makes it seem a little bit more competitive to the casual fan and definitely to the uh, hardcore boxing fan. Now, what I always ask when it comes to Javante Davis's fights are, is this the one that makes them more of a household name? I feel like there were definitely more people talking about this fight. It was definitely getting bigger coverage um, on multiple news outlets. But is this the fight that makes people pay more attention to his career? Um, I, I think it's one of them. I mean, he hasn't fought when he fought Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz was a guy who had who had a name, had some popularity, and was a multiple division champion. So you could package that fight to the casual fans because for you to be a breakout star, the casual fans are the buy-in. The hardcore is going to buy regardless. You have to get the casual fans. This fight, once again, was another step in, in that direction. Not because once again he's facing an elite guy or a guy, but he's he's moving up two weight classes. And that sort of David versus Goliath type thing is it, easy to build interest around. Um, plus, he's still, once again, he's fighting a guy who has a world championship belt. Uh, I have to admit, Floyd Mayweather has done a very good job in moving him correctly, having, having him face tough opposition, but in some cases limited. And by maximizing his presence online and through Showtime, he's essentially turned a guy who really had no real fan base and really had no... <laughs> social media president, present, present, excuse me, presence or momentum behind him. And he turned him pretty much into the, the biggest young star they have right now. I mean, people are talking about who's Tank's going to fight next. They're throwing all the, how about Lomachenko? Will he stay at 140? What about this? What about that? And um, to be honest, he doesn't have a win as good as Teofimo's Lopez's win over Nakatani or his win over Loma. But Teofimo now is second or third in consideration to Javante Davis, and he's the one who beat one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and yet nobody's talking about that hardly anymore. We're talking about Tank's knockout win over Leo Santa Cruz, and we turn into Tank's knockout win over a guy who fought at 140 after he jumped two weight classes. It's like as far as the media presence and the uh, casual fan interest, there, there's not another young fighter who's anywhere close to Tank Davis right now, not an American fighter at least. So what do you do with him next? Who do you have him face in order to kind of keep building his name? Does he face uh, Lomachenko? We're going to be talking about him in a second, or is there another name that you put him against? Well, the thing about it is he has options now. He's fought at 130. I don't know if he can make it anymore. He fought at 135. Now he fought at 140. If you want to move him at 140, there's lots of guys who will fight him. You could have him fight Marky Garcia. You could have Regis Prograce, uh, maybe I don't think Josh Taylor because Floyd wants to keep him fighting PBC fighters. So they have a lot of second and third tier type fighters they could throw him in with. Not that they're bad fighters, but they're not maybe as accomplished or they're not as known as some of the other fighters who, such as Josh Taylor. They're, they're not as known as him. But um, if he stays at 140, the problem is he faced a guy who's not really known as a puncher, a guy who's not a very great, who's not a great athlete. The guy is a tough guy. He's a well-conditioned guy. He's a very technically aware and clean fighter, but he's not a power puncher. So 
in spots you saw Javante Davis having issues with him. He doesn't. He's not used to throwing in volume, so his usual one or two three punch explosions wasn't working against a guy who was long and could avoid him, or who was big and strong enough that he could take one or two big shots at a time. Until Javante Davis put his foot on the gas and upped his volume, he really wasn't hurting Barrios. He wasn't really putting any heat on Barrios. And even Floyd Mayweather, Floyd's not going to say it, but when Floyd said, you're down on the official card, you need to step it up, that's basically Floyd saying, I'm watching this fight. I'm your guy. I believe in you, and even I think you're losing. So he was losing to a guy who's not a great athlete, not a great puncher, and a good, not great technical boxer. Basically, because of the guy's game plan, the guy's length, and the guy's physical durability as a result of size. Against the better 140 guys, they can punch. We don't know how good a chin Tank has because Tank has never fought a puncher at any weight class. The best fighter he fought at one, Jose Pedraza, not a puncher. Leo Santa Cruz, not a puncher. Mario Barras, not a puncher. Euroquiz Gamboa, no longer a puncher. We haven't seen him in with a puncher. So I don't know how far you can move him at 140 because we don't know how he handles real power. We know his power holds up to a degree, but we don't know how he handles when a guy hits him clean who can really hit. So 140, you have some big fights, but they're a little bit riskier. I'm not sure if he can make 135. If he could, he could fight Lomachenko because that's Lomachenko's limit. He can't go up any further, and he'd have a size advantage, a strength advantage, a youth advantage, an explosiveness advantage. But once again, the fact of the matter is Loma's outside of PBC. So if he's outside of PBC and Floyd is saying we're only fighting PBC guys because we're not making another company great, all those guys like Teofimo, Loma, Devin Haney or whoever, they're off the market because they're not under Al Heyman's um, influence or not under Floyd's influence, and they're not going to give another company money and let them make a name off of Javante Davis. So a lot of potential matches we'd like to see are just not there. But the fact that they're talking about him with Javante Davis shows that he's crossing over into stardom because these things have been told are off the table and people are still talking about them. That, that's It's like a toy your mom says you're not getting, and you still bring it up every single day. That's how popular that toy is. She told you you ain't getting it, and she's going to slap you next time you say it, and you're still saying it. Then you get smacked, and you're still saying it. That's how people are with Javonta. He's got a clear path. Floyd's going to build him in a very specific way. And even though people are being told this fight isn't allowed, this fight isn't allowed, we're not talking about these guys, people keep bringing up his name in every single big fight. That's what happens when you become a big star. They just start forcing your name into spots. And that's when the money gets really big. And that's when the opportunities get really big. So let me ask you this. Five years in the future, it's 2026, middle of the year. How are we talking about Javante Davis and his career? Where do you think he is at that point? If they keep moving in the way he does, given the matchups and the, and the versatility he has in weight classes, there's a very good chance for Javante Davis is still undefeated. And even if he takes a loss or two, he should still be one of the bigger, bigger names in boxing. Because when he had issues with weight, he got with Floyd. Floyd straightened him out. Floyd started te- teaching him how to deal with the media. Floyd started teaching, putting him on a platform where he could promote him, doing all these little all-access things that are building casual interest. He's putting him on pay-per-view, just like we were talking about earlier. Something's cheaper. People don't think it's a good matchup or exciting. They put him on pay-per-view, it makes him seem like a bigger star. And since nobody else on pay-per-view is able to do numbers, Tank doing 300000 or 400000 makes him look like a, a star for all intents and purposes in this landscape. So you could really turn him into a face of uh, boxing, and he's not some really good, clean-cut, good-looking person with no back history. He's, he's had issues with 
maybe domestic violence. He doesn't look particularly clean and maybe Wall Street or Fifth Avenue type appearance to him. He's not, he doesn't have that smooth kind of Oscar De La Hoya charm or that Canelo sort of presence and good looks. He's just kind of a rough around the edges person who's just caught the casual fans uh, interest and Floyd has cultivated that and built him into a star. The one thing I will say that, that's jarring is him and Adrian Broner have some a lot of similarities between them. One guy listened to Floyd Mayweather and is on his way to being one of the biggest stars and getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And one guy didn't. And after he got to a certain point, it's been peaks and valleys, up and down, no consistency. And it makes me wonder what would have happened if Adrian Broner would have dedicated himself to his craft, attached himself to Floyd, and let Floyd put him in positions, the same positions he's putting Javante Davis in. Like at some point, somebody in Javante Davis' team said, you need to go here, you need to do these things. Nobody's had that kind of control over Adrian Broner. And Adrian Broner is a much more bigger personality, much funnier, a little wittier. And he still draws all this interest, but it's waning because he's not the fighter he used to be. And I just wonder what would have happened if he would have taken the same steps Tank took. Would he have been a bigger star, which would have given a bigger launching point for Tank and made Tank even a bigger star moving forward? Yeah, the thing about Tank that stands out to me and always kind of – this is the first thing I think about is the man has issues off off the court, out of the ring. Like he – that video of him at the basketball game grabbing a woman by her neck and forcing her out of the, uh, out of the game. I, I, like you can't – there's no amount of PR that's going to fix that. Um, he, he's, he's had multiple issues. I hope he doesn't have any more. You know, we can knock on wood and say that we hope that he doesn't have any more issues in, in the future. But those type of instances stand out to me. And I think that if, it makes it worse with Floyd Mayweather by his side, too, as well, if you really think about it. So, yeah. in my opinion, that's his biggest hurdle to becoming a household name and a star that everyone kind of recognizes. Well, think about one thing. If anybody knows how to navigate potential domestic abuse rumors or excuse or things that happen. Floyd, even though he went, he went to prison for a year, basically off of that. And it didn't hurt his popularity. It didn't hurt his image. He was able to spin that in a manner that made him seem like I was just protecting my family. I just did what I have to do. I have nothing bad to say about her. And he keeps it short and he's put a cocoon around Gervonta Davis. Nobody, nobody really, I don't remember anybody bringing that up to him and any after the Leo Santa Cruz fight, before the Leo Santa Cruz fight, before this fight, after the fight, I don't remember anybody asking about domestic abuse things. Greg Hardy still gets asked about it his entire UFC career. I don't remember any major outlet commenting on Geronta Davis's domestic abuse in an interview before his big fights, all these articles come out. I don't remember that happening. It may have, but it wasn't enough to where I would have gotten to it, and I paid pretty close attention to boxing. I never heard it happen, and even with Floyd with his issues, how much do people really talk about it in detail? They didn't. Nobody knew what was going on. They had a police report. That was it. Nobody else said another word who was, who was affected by it or surrounding it. Same thing with Devonta Davis. They saw it happen. Has his girl, his ex-girlfriend spoke out? Has anybody else from his team spoke out? Radio, when you, don't, you can't get any information, the story dies down quick. And that's what's happened. Nobody's mentioned that in like a year and a half. Now you're right about that. Um, he hasn't really been getting asked the questions, but I think it's because of the outlets that they're speaking to. Uh, they aren't they aren't speaking to the outlets that would ask them. ESPN isn't going to ask those questions, um, especially from a UFC standpoint. We know that. We know a lot of these outlets and a lot of these um, journalists aren't going to ask those questions because of access issues. That, so that's, Floyd, that's, that's a power of Floyd. 
that's neither here nor there. I mean, that's that's the power of sports in general. I mean, you don't. I always joke about Marv Albert. Like that was the first one who always kind of stood out to me when he bit that uh, hooker or the, the stripper or whatever uh, she was. He never lost his job. He was suspended for like six months, and that was about it. Um, it it kind of it just it it's never going to be. We're never going to live in a world where sports professionals are truly held accountable for their actions, especially when it comes to women. Like we're not we're not going to be we're like we're just not going to see that. Yeah, probably. Prob- Unfortunately, and probably, yeah, no, I mean, the fighters aren't going to say nothing. The other athletes try to stay up, stay away from it. So there's no pressure to really apply any pressure. So uh, let's let's move from there and let's talk about Vasily Lomachenko because we mentioned him in a, a moment. He picked up a big win over Masa Yoshi, um, Masa, Masa Yoshi Nakatani. I want to make sure I say that man's right. Just been saying that man's name right. Uh, talk to me about this win there, because this is the one I don't hear a lot of people talking about, but it was still a uh, big victory. Well, they didn't talk about it as much because Davis's fight coming off of one spectacular knockout, and then the fight, the way he knocked out Barrios was very exciting, and the buildup, it kind of overshadowed. I mean, last week, I didn't even talk about the fight on the podcast last week. I almost forgot about the fight. It was like Friday, and I'm like, Wait, when was fighting? Like, oh my God. I so wrapped up in Davis and Barrios, because that's all people kept talking about. Davis and Barrios, Davis and Barrios, Davis and Barrios. So um, and I actually saw an, an, an ad for Nakatani Loma and I still forgot about it. And I'm a big Loma fan. But um it just got overshadowed because the machine is behind Javanta. Um Floyd has made sure the machine's around Javanta and all he has to do is keep winning in spectacular fashion. And he's gonna position him as the best pound for pound guy and the, the biggest star in boxing next to, to Canelo. So at this point, Loma's getting overlooked. Um, it was a good fight. Nakatani is a, a fairly limited fighter. He's big, he's long, he's tough, he's got hard, he applies pressure, he's got a good right hand. Um, the reason people consider this a good fight is because Nakatani gave Teofimo Lopez a very tough fight. Previous prior to that, Teofimo was knocking everybody out left and right. Um, Nakatani was the first to take him 12 rounds and to land some good shots and kind of extend him and make him look kind of normal. Before that, he looked like a juggernaut. And then he fought uh, Felix Verdejo. He got dropped four times and eventually walked Verdejo down and, and stopped him late. So the, the reason people were so excited about this fight wasn't about Nakatani. We know what he is. But the question is, what was going to happen to Loma? Loma had looked untouchable. He looked unstoppable. He looked like he was just going to go the rest of his career undefeated. And then Teofimo kind of exposed him. You saw him not being busy. You saw him not being able to get to the angles he wants. You saw his accuracy kind of go off. You saw him get a little shook up and look a little hesitant. So people wanted to see, was that the start? Was that the decline, the hint of decline before the total meltdown? Kind of like how Tyrone Woody lost the fight. He lost his next three or four. They wanted to know, is Loma going to be able to come back? Or is this the beginning of the end where he starts losing to different levels of guys and tumbles all the way down the rankings? I never thought that. I just thought Teofimo put on a great performance. And as it showed, Loma was still who we thought he, we thought he was. He outboxed Nakatani. He got him out of position. He countered. He threw head to the head and body. He was throwing a pretty decent clip as far as volume, and he was showing some power that he hadn't really shown at uh, at, at lightweight. He hadn't been able to really put guys away easily. And against this guy, there was nothing Nakatani could do. He was just nailing him left and right, and, and stopped him in the in the ninth round. The one thing that looked different is he seemed a little bit more aggressive. He didn't wait. He wasn't just trying to find his range and figure it out. He came out trying to fire, countering aggressively, leading aggressively. And Nakatani didn't have the defense or the countering skills to do anything to keep him off him. So uh, 
people are saying that Loma's back. The thing about it is when you lose in boxing or MMA, people say you're exposed. They say you're a fraud. They act like you can't fight. Just because he lost to a great fighter does not mean that every fighter in division is going to walk through to see a Lomachenko. That's just a ridiculous thing, but that's how a lot of casual people thought. I was in one of them, and he, he came back and he made a guy who's a top, maybe top 10, 10-ish, top 7 to 10-ish type fighter. He made him look like he didn't belong in the ring with him, and he's the only guy who's made him look that bad in the entirety of his career. Teofimo didn't look, make him look that bad. And Rene Howe definitely didn't make him look that bad. It was pretty much a masterclass performance. Do you think we're getting that rematch between uh, Teofimo and Lomachenko next? Honestly, if I'm Teofimo, I don't take it because, quite frankly, I think part of the reason he won was he had been more active than Lomachenko, and he had an extended period of time to lose weight and make sure his weight and everything was on point. I personally think making the weight class is a tough cut for him. I think he's a big guy. He can move to 140 right now. And I don't understand why you would sacrifice explosiveness, durability, and physical strength squeezing down to that weight class one more time. Yeah, it's a big fight, but if somehow Loma wins that fight, even if it's a close decision, he wins it or he knocks him out, probably not likely, but let's say he does, all the plans you have for going to 140 are lost. You've already pissed off your promoter top rank, you pissed off Bob Arum, you kind of put yourself out there as a maverick who's going to take control of his career and call the shots, and he's not putting up with shit from promoters. So you did that, and then you have a big loss afterwards, all his leverage, all his power goes away. When you start pushing back against the powers that be, you can't lose. Like when Bernard Hopkins went on that 18, 15, whatever, fight win streak, he couldn't afford to lose because they don't like him. So the minute he loses, he's getting buried. Tyrone Willie, the minute he lost, what happened to him? ran his ass right out. It was going to happen. They don't like him. So he can't afford a loss, even a loss to Lomachenko. Even if he gets a third rematch, that loss ruins all his leverage. It's a huge setback. He's no longer undefeated. He's no longer the unified champion. He's no longer untouchable. Now he's back at the mercy of the promoters. This act he has and this, um, it's a takeover. I run the show. That works when you're undefeated. That works when you beat the pound-for-pound guy and made, made it look fairly easy. That doesn't look, work when the pound-for-pound guy comes back and whoops up on you. That makes you look suspect. Even in a tough win, it's gonna make him look. It's gonna make him lose some of his luster. If I'm him, I just move into 140 and take my chances with a big fight up there. I don't know if it's worth his while to squeeze back down one more time to fight Lomachenko because Lomachenko seems focused. He seems willing to give up. He gave up money to fight on the first time. He's like, I'll give up whatever. I'll give up whatever money. This is about legacy to, legacy to me. So a loss to him derails his whole thing. Loma's already had a loss. He's come back. Teofimo hasn't done anything since the win. So facing Lomachenko and losing, it's too big a risk. It's not that big a money fight. It's a big money fight, but it's not like a $10, $15 million money fight. He can take the same risk and move up and have an excuse for when he loses and then go back down and then fight Lomachenko again. But taking it right now before going to 140, I don't think so. I think his dad might want it. I don't know that he wants it, especially he's got one title defense. He just had a case of COVID. I don't think he, I don't think it happens. I think that his dad wouldn't happen, though. So I'm going to ask the same question about Lomachenko that I did about uh, Davis. Five years, how are we talking about his career? I don't think Lomachenko ain't going to be here five years. I think he's got another two, maybe. Uh, he fought a long time as an amateur. I mean, he fought a long, long time as an amateur. He's had – he just came off of surgery. He's already in physical decline. One, he's in phys- he's declining because he's old. Two, he's physically declining because he's fighting a weight class higher than he should be. He's fighting guys who are coming into the, the ring at 140, 
145, 143, 150, when he's literally coming into the ring about 135. So it's like a 13, 10 to 15, 13 pound difference. And grappling, that's manageable maybe. In striking arts, you don't want a guy who can punch and kick, who's 15 pounds heavier than you, punching and kicking you. It puts more, it's like Stockarabo would always fight those weight classes that, that put wear and tear on his body that shortened his prime. Lomachenko has already hit the full maximum weight he can go to. And in, at 135, he's taking more punishment. His power hasn't been there. He's had to work harder. So you've seen the chinks in his armor. You've seen the slow, the slow decline. You've seen the reflexes be a little bit off. Um, I think he'll be here for two years. Five years after this, he'll be considered one of the best fighters of all time because he won a title in, what, his third fight? He challenged for a world title in his second fight. Uh, he was one of the best amateur boxers of all time. In his brief period in, in boxing as a pro, he was a pound-for-pound pound entrance, probably no lower than number three, maybe number five now. And he bought, beat a who's who of formal title holders, current title holders, and guys who are established amateurs and successful pros. He beat them and made it look easy. If you look at his resume, there's very few soft touches on his resume. So he's going to be considered an all-time great five years from now. I just don't think he'll be fighting five years from now. If he's fighting two years from now, Two years from now, two and a half years from now, I think that's going to be about it. He'll be out of the game by then. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, we'll have to come back to that prediction in a couple of years and see if that's really true or not. Let's uh, let's move on in our agenda and talk about Cyril Gagne picking up a big win on Saturday where he defeated Alexander Volkov by a unanimous decision across five rounds. Uh, I think it was 50-45 across all. Uh, let's talk about this fight from a technique standpoint first, because I was really interested in the technique aspects of this contest. Two guys who I think are some of the better strikers at heavyweight, technical strikers, at least at heavyweight, going out there and doing their thing. And I liked what I saw from Gagne. The biggest thing is I don't think he really displays, like, fight-ending power, like the sudden ability to stop. He can submit you, but I, I don't see, like, the fight-ending power. He can submit you if he can take you down. So what did you really see from this fight from a technique standpoint? Well, people who, who listen to a show, not enough people listen to it. I kept seeing it's a master class. Who could have seen this coming? I didn't think that he'd take him apart this way. The speed's too much. The mobility's too much. The technique's too much. And I'm like, first of all, have y'all never seen Cyril Gagne fight? Clearly you haven't. Second of all, have you never seen Alexander Volkov fight? Clearly you haven't because if you're – surprised by what you're seeing from a technical and strategical positioning, then you don't know either one of these guys. Volkov's technically sound, but he's fairly one-dimensional in what he does. He's not very mobile. He's not light on his feet. He, he leans on his ability to throw variety and throw volume, but that requires him to build momentum. If you're turning him, if you're exiting on ankles, if you're, if you're able to faint a little bit and you got a quick twitch, quick lead hand, you're pretty explosive, he can't just open up on you because he likes to have you cornered. He likes to have you right in front of him. He likes to have you backing up in a straight line. If you look at the fight, Gane was controlling him with his lead hand. He stayed at a certain range where Volkov would have to either reach a little bit or he'd have to step in. When he stepped in, he either met him halfway with a counter shot or he backed up to where he would chase and then he would counter again. But at no, no point because Volkov put two, three, four, five, six punches together because every time he took a step to get into range, Gane would hit him with a front kick, hit him with a jab, or feign him, step back, boom, then get back out and make Volkov reset and start all over again. So 
So Volkov needed momentum. He needed to bring his physicality and his pace into the fight. And because of Gagne's footwork and his accuracy and his quickness and his mobility, Volkov was never able to do that. And that was that was pretty much it. If Volkov can't get going, it's like a chainsaw. It's not dangerous unless you get let it get started. Until you let Volkov get started, he he's an average heavyweight, maybe even a below average heavyweight. He has to get momentum. He's a momentum fighter. If you're not going to stay in front of him and engage in exchanges and back straight up or come straight in, he's incapable of throwing enough volume to uh, to do the damage he needs because he's not a big puncher either. So did you see enough, and we're going to talk about this during the news section as well, too, when we talk about the fight that was announced for um, Gagne, but did you see enough from him that makes him an exciting candidate to fight against who were the top names in at heavyweight? Stipe, Derek, and Francis Ngannou. Did you see enough from him in this fight on Saturday and from previous fights? I mean, he's only 9-0, so did we see enough from him before uh, this fight and including Saturday that makes him an, an elite contender in your well, opinion? I mean, you didn't see that. You saw snappy power. You saw sharp power. You saw good hand speed. You saw agility. You saw mobility. You didn't really see a killer instinct against the two best fighters he had as far as durability, skill set, and experience. He um, he didn't look dynamic. Against Rosenstruck, that was boring as fuck. I know because I talked to Rosenstruck's camp. I had some ideas about what to do with Gagne, and um, it didn't, it, it, they weren't executed. Nothing against the fighter, nothing against the camp. It just wasn't executed. I think the movement and the length and the and the athleticism was a bit of an issue. Same way it was for Volkov. Um, so you you see the skills, you see the physical talent. What you don't really see is any that destructive kind of nature that draws fans in. You know, it's this fight as good as it was, as much of a domination, it turned into a bit of a slog because Volkov was wasn't willing to walk through fire to put shots together. And then he didn't have the technical skills to stay at range. So it became fairly one-sided and, and pretty much uneventful. So as a part of athleticism, yeah, he's probably one of the, he's probably, if not one or two, the best athlete in the division. Technically striking, he's probably no worse than one or two in the division as far as striking skills and experience. And um, every there you could you could have some excitement because he's the kind of fighter, due to the fact that he doesn't really punch in my opinion with mean intentions he's not a dynamic finisher he's going to give you moments to win from the beginning of the end of the fight jds had moments against against uh cyril gagne and his chin has been gone for years francis and with his power and athleticism is going to have a chance to have moments Derek lewis is limited and flawed as he is as a fighter he is a counter fighter and he is a dynamic explosive athlete and he is one of the biggest pound for pound punchers in division so throughout the fight, he's always going to have an opportunity because Gandhi is a guy who's very systematic. He's very safety first, and he's going to pick his spots and break you down over the limb. He's not going to pile it on trying to finish you. He, that's not the kind of guy he is. He's safety first. It's good because it makes you hard to hit, but it's bad because it keeps your guy in the fight. If your guy's mentally strong enough, it's going to keep him in the fight long enough where he's going to have a moment to win or turn the fight at any moment. If Alexander Volkov can land a two-punch combination on you, and I know Derek Lewis can land a two-punch combination on you. The difference is, even if you have your guard up, even if you roll with a shot, Derek Lewis's shot might kill you. Whereas Alexander Volkov's shot is just going to, you know, mess up your hair, make you have to think a little bit. So, so I'm not just fought enough. 
I want to know what Kanye looks like under sound pressure. Um, we see a lot. Well, of you, you're not going to get you're not going to get that against Ngannou or Lewis. Conceptually, they put pressure on you because of their explosiveness and the fact that they they're aggressive counter punchers. But as far as footwork and positioning, neither mm -hmm. one of them. Ngannou's got better, but he's still not. He he's still prone to wild bursts of offense. He's not as sharp as he could be. He's gotten a lot sharper, but he's still not nearly as sharp as people make him out to be. The thing is. If he gives you four moments of sloppiness and two moments of sharpness, his power and deep speed is so dynamic that those two moments of sharpness will turn a fighter into fight. So people are like, oh, look how dynamic, how quick he is. Well, if I'm three times faster than somebody, I'm going to look really dynamic. And if I hit four times harder than anybody else in the division, me landing one sharp jab where somebody's like, look how crisp his jab is. Well, this is a fight ender. Me landing one short right cross, that's a fight ender. So we still don't know that if Vingano gets past a certain punch count or fights past a certain pace, that his technique holds up. And we know Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is purely an IQ strategy fighter. His technique is not bad, but, I mean, would you consider him even a top 15 striker as far as actual skill and defensive awareness? No, he's 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 a very smart fighter. Like, and it's weird. Like, he's – how can I put it in – like, he's a smart fighter within his skill set, and he can remain dangerous in a fight from round one – We've seen him look dangerous in round three, four, and five. So uh, he, that, I think that's kind of what what's, what fits him. And everybody looks at him like like, a, like he's a comedy character, but he's not at all. He He's a dangerous threat. What do you think Gaia will look like a, a, against someone like um, Stipe, someone who can offer pressure in a technical way? I see that, but Stipe's slow. Stipe's lo I, I know Stipe. I've known his trainer. We've had long conversations. Great guy. Stipe's slow as fuck. Um, Daniel Cormier, excuse me, excuse my language. Oh my god, your mom's gonna watch this and be like, hit that dude off. And um, my mom's heard because more times on this show than she probably would probably would like. Whatever. Okay. Well, I I try to put myself above such a ruffian as yourself, but now I'm in your. You brought me to level. Thank you very much. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but um, Stipe, as good as he's been, what is what is historically trouble Stipe? Speed. Daniel Cormier, the busted down version of Daniel Cormier, who isn't the athlete he was five years ago, even in the third fight was still out speed beating Stipe to the punch regularly. He was consistently beating him to the punch. Stipe has a problem with speed. He has a problem with mobility. Gane is a very fast, mobile guy. Is Stipe going to be able to pressure him to the, to the cage? Well, Gane knows how to angle out and angle out, and he knows how to circle out. Two things that Daniel Cormier doesn't know how to do. So... I don't know that Gagne hits hard enough to just one-punch him and really put him on his heels. Stipe could probably work into a rhythm against him if his chin is still there because he doesn't have Stipe, he doesn't have Lewis kind of power. He doesn't have Ngannou kind of power. But the fact of the matter is Gagne is still fast, and Gagne's light on his feet and defensively sound. So that jab-jab, body shot, that fake, ho fake high, go low, fake low, go high, all those little tricks that Stipe does, they work on Daniel Cormier's and – Alistair Overeems and other guys like that, it's not going to work as well against Gagne. For one thing, he's got a jab that he sticks to. Stevie has a great jab, but he don't always use it. And if he don't have, if he's not on his jab, it's going to be target practice. He'll have the bigger power. He'll have the wrestling chops, but he's facing a quicker mobile athlete who's not going to give him those opportunities up in cage to cage, who's not going to back up in a straight line, who's not going to stand in front of him, who's not going to get into a firefight. So could Stevie win and grind him out? Sure. But the version of Stipe I've seen in the last couple of years, he might he might struggle to win two rounds. 
Yeah, I think I would be interested in that. Um, I don't really want to cover anything else from UFC Fight Night 190 or Bellator 261. I kind of want to know. I just, I just have to take a moment about Bellator. Go ahead. Before that fight with Liz Carmouche, everybody kept saying Liz is boring, Liz is trash. She's going to fight this girl, and she's such a great Ujoka. She's a great athlete. She's going to grab her, throw her in the head, and submit her. And I'm like, you haven't seen this girl's last fight. You don't understand. Even if you're a great grappler with that transition, the fact that the fight starts at a distance and the fight requires you to get through strikes to get these clinches and body locks and head knock throws and sweeps, you got to get to their body, which means you have to get through my hands and my legs, my legs versus my hands. Liz Carmouche is very experienced. She's one of the most experienced current fighters. She fought Rousey. She's fought Shevchenko. She's really fought the best of the best at every level. She was, I think, a champion in, in uh, Strike Force, strike champion in Invicta. Challenge for two belts in the UFC. Now, they might not have been very exciting fights, but that, that, that puts on a certain level as far as experience, poise, and quality of opposition. You're not just going to throw her in with some rookie who thinks she's going to just have her way with her. And the biggest issue is because Liz has learned how to make fights ugly and make fights boring. And if you're not a precision striker or you're not a fighter with a certain amount of control and discipline, when she doesn't engage in you right away, she kind of stays up right on that edge. It's what I found with these far MMA fighters. Their whole thing is take over the cage, get their hands on you, make it physical, make it a pace issue. So if you stay right on the edge and they can't get to you right away, they start reaching, reaching for takedowns, reaching for clinches, reaching with punches. Opponent reached, she countered, and then she just took over. The girl at no point was able to recover. She just poured, poured on, poured on, poured on, poured on, and finished her. That was just better in class. And people think because Valentina Shevchenko beats the brace off you that you're trash. No, Valentina Shevchenko is almost untouchable at flyweight. That's like saying because you lost to a prime Conor McGregor or prime Jose Aldo, you don't know how to fight. Because you lost to the top three pound-for-pound fighter in the world, you don't know how to fight? No, that just means they're that much better than you. So because she lost that fight to Shevchenko in such boring fashion, people actually thought that Liz Kamush had lost her fastball. She just chooses to fight in a manner that minimizes damage and allows her to get by by eking out wins, by having a couple big moments of offense. If you force her to a point or you give her an opening where she can finish you, she will. Or if you force her to get in exchanges, Liz Carmouche can go there, but she's a veteran. She's only going to spend the energy necessary. It's like uh, the Wizards version of Michael Jordan. He couldn't do it every night, but if you pushed him and challenged him, Jordan would drop 45. When you rest time, you're just going to get in the pose, do his mid-range, turn around, one dribble pull-up, get his 25, get the hell out, pick his spots. That's all she does. And people mistake picking your spots and fighting with poise and discipline for being boring and being unable to fight. There's levels for a reason. Losing to Shevchenko doesn't mean you're not elite. It means you're not the elite fighter. It don't mean you're not elite. It just means you're not the elite fighter. She's still got light years ahead of most of these girls. And you have a fighter with who's very one-dimensional, has no striking game, and, and relies purely on her ability to get takedowns against somebody with Carmouche's physical strength and experience. Recipe for disaster. It was supposed to be a showcase fight, but it ended up being a showcase fight for Carmouche. And yet another high-profile Bellator signee gets knocked off the pedestal in their first or second fight. So they're doing a great job of developing this young talent and building them up. This Carmouche ain't someone to be fucked with, man. Like, she is going to be in a tough out from now until the time she decides to retire. And it's, cause it's just because she can do just about everything that's needed to be effective in MMA, especially in women's MMA, where the skill gaps are still kind of 
wider than you would like them to be in some spaces. So she's going to be a threat for as long as she decides to, will she be a champion? I don't know, because the woman who has the Bellator title now is pretty damn tough. Yeah. But she she's going to be someone that if you can't beat her, you're not going to be able to challenge for a title no matter where you go. Yeah. I mean, she's still one of the better athletes, even at this age. She's still one of the more physical fighters. She's still, as far as all-round skills and being able to competently perform at each level, she's still one of the best, and she's one of the most accomplished. Look at her resume. Look at the people she's fought. Look at the people she's fought, win or lose. Look at who she's fought and who she's beat. Most of them are top-ranked five fighters in, in multiple divisions. How do, you, how, do you, how do you look at that person and say, oh, I want that fight in my second fight? Nah. It's funny. She came to D.C. She was actually at my gym the day she uh, learned she got cut from the – uh, from the UFC in 2018, nice. and she was fu- like wrecking fools that night because nobody knew who she was. Like oddly enough, which I find weird, I was the only person that knew who she was, and she was just wrecking people left and right. So I was just like, uh, "Well, you do understand she's fought for two UFC titles." I was telling people at the end of the class, and they were like, "Oh, now nah, it makes sense." But yeah, she is. Um, she's always been the real deal. I want to get to our last topic because we're running up on 45 minutes already. Let's talk about this fight between uh, Cyril uh, Gagne and Derek Lewis for an interim heavyweight title that's been announced for UFC 265. So let's give you a little bit of background from here. Francis Ngannou wins the title in March. He knocks out Stipe Miocic. He becomes heavyweight champion. This is after waiting out Stipe and DC's trilogy fight and also taking fights during that time. He wasn't just sitting on a sideline, but he took two fights and got two victories after losing to uh, Stipe the first time. So he fights his way back to a title shot and then he has to wait. There was no interim title opportunity, no stripping of Stipe, none of that. And now we're in a situation where he wins the belt and he, according to his representation, asked for a fight in September because he wanted to go back to Africa to visit his family. And that was what they were pushing for. According to his manager, they signed a uh, contract to fight in September. UFC comes out with this contract on or with this fight with Gagne and Derek Lewis for interim title. Dana White was doing Dana White shit and bashing uh, Ngannou's management in the press. And he says something very interesting, not very, not very surprising, but still interesting, where he he said that he hopes Ngannou gets better representation around him. And I laughed at that statement because I laughed at that statement as the news is coming out because last Friday, Ngannou has a, he has a cameo in the highest grossing movie that's out right now, Fast 9. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if anyone else has really, but he has a cameo in that movie. He only has like one or two speaking lines. But Did Vince Diesel whoop his ass? Uh, no, um, Han, Han, the uh, guy who comes back from the dead, basically kills him. But oh, still, he's in that movie. So for Dana White to be talking bad about his management, his management got him in the biggest movie franchise, one of the biggest movie franchises around. So I think they're doing right by him. So this is a whole situation that is just another example of UFC titles don't mean shit, unless you're unless if you're someone holding them. They do get you a bigger payday, but those paydays don't really mean much in the grand scheme of the amount of money that the organization makes. And this, in my opinion, it shows it's just another we can sit here and talk about it all day, but it's just another example of why the fighters need to figure out how to come together and how to have their management better represent them 
when it comes time for these contracts and these fight announcements? The problem is the fighters, the, the problem is the fighters, there's no money in fighting generally until you turn pro. I'll use basketball as an example because I work with fighters, I work with basketball players. There's money in basketball, even as a grassroots basketball. Have you seen how, you don't know this, if you ever have kids who play basketball, look how much they charge for you to go to a tournament, two-day tournament. You might pay $25 for, to see your kid play for four hours in a weekend. $25 for four hours in a weekend, and you can get your $15 hot dog and $13 Sprite that's over ice and watery with that. Just And then they're going to make you work the table or do something work while you watch your kid play for $25. There's money to be made in it. I, I've, I've helped world-class fighters do camps and scouts. I've made more money training middle school kids who aren't in the top 200 in their city that I made helping world-class fighters come up with game plans and watch video and break down opponents. There's more money in every other sport at a grassroots, college level, intermediate level than there is in combat sports. So for that reason, that plays a large part in it. People at this age, they make connections, they network, they're kind of invested because it's team sports, they're invested in the other athlete's well-being. If he's doing good, I'm doing good. I want rights for everybody because if he gets money, that means there's some money for me somewhere. In fighting, they don't have a relationship with one another. They don't know each other. They didn't grow up with one another. They don't have, if this person does better, that does nothing for me. John Jones making a million dollars does nothing for me at all. So the concern becomes, what's going to help me? What's going to help my camp? What's going to help my family? I don't care about the rest of you. They'll say all of us until the money comes. Remember Donald Cerrone was going to join that group against UFC? What happened when he started getting paid? Never heard another word. Jose Aldo, we need to get paid better. My poor teammate who can barely feed his pregnant wife. What are we doing? As soon as they signed your new contract, he shut the fuck up too. They only use that as leverage to create interest for themselves. And then once they get paid, they stop talking that nonsense. They either do that or they wait till they're on a losing streak, but they get kicked out of the UFC, and then they want to talk, and by that time, nobody cares, because you're not good anymore. The inherent selfishness of the sport holds anybody and everybody back from really making a difference, because the guys on the UFC side, the shareholders, the people who work there, they're on the same, they're on the same page. It's all of them against you. The fighters aren't on the same page. The fighters are undercutting each other and trying to fight against the UFC. Like when somebody pulls out on a fight, what does the fighter say? Does he say, I understand he's got to make a living too? No, he doesn't want the fight. She's scared. She faked an injury. She doesn't want the fight. And then when they get the fight, when they get in the same situation, well, the UFC didn't care, and I got all this pressure from the fans, the same pressure you gave when somebody else pulled out of the fight with you. You don't care how they're doing. You don't care about their injuries. You don't care about their performance. You care about getting yourself in position. And the worst part is the fighters undercut each other. Connor makes money, they hate on him. Paige Van Zandt finds a way to get paid, they hate on her. Nobody's, there's no solidarity, there's no effort. All they do is try to appease Dana White and their overlord, UFC masters. And the UFC has that advantage. There's people I know who are fighters who have signed to take 10000 a fight less to fight in the UFC. Who the hell can afford to make $10,000 a fight less to fight with UFC on your name? And I, these people with kids, kids and wives. So you're taking eight and eight when you can make 18 just for showing? That's the ridiculousness of it. 
Did you see Paige Van Zandt's um, interview today? Yes. Where she said that she's now making more from her subscription service than she not only than she was for UFC, but she's making more than her BKFC contract. Her entire contract, she's making more money than that in one month. Well, I, I believe that when you're out of the UFC, you can do all sorts of endorsements. You have time to do endorsements. I will say that the UFC allowed her to become a big star. She's not a great fighter. I know she's attractive to many people. I'm not saying she's not attractive, but she's not that attractive. And I don't know that she's the greatest personality in the world. The UFC gave her a platform, gave her kind of an identity. She ran with it. Did they do the best by her? No. They did not pay her what she's worth. And they didn't care to keep her. They're like, eh. We will build in. We'll, we get it. Like Beyonce said, I have another you in a minute. Matter of fact, she'll be here in a minute. That's what the UFC told her. But I believe that she makes more money. You have more opportunities. You have more time on your hands, and you're not. You, you don't have to run everything by Dana White, who seems to horn himself into every opportunity you have, but doesn't want to generate any of the opportunities for you. But last thing, the people on the business side, they are solid. It's like I'll put it like this. This is going to be risky. But it's like when people talk about minorities or let's say specifically black people. The black people, we're kind of in each other's throat and trying to fight these people over here. These people over here are in solidarity against us. We are not in solidarity with each other. We're trying to fight each other and fight these people. That's why these people keep winning. They're all together and they will not bad talk or undercut each other as long as they to, to make sure that they win. We're over here undercutting, arguing, fighting, trying to mislead or steal from each other and then trying to make a difference over here you can't fight a war on two fronts the fighters are fighting wars on two fronts they're sabotaging each other they're sabotaging their coaches with all these ufc institutes going there you're just running mom and pop training centers out of the business that's going to be gone soon and you're sabotaging yourself dana white and his team solid so nobody from the, the, the ufc speak out they don't say nothing how do you feel about the fighters? that's not really my call how do you feel about the fighters? that's not really my call how do you feel about the fighters? I don't take care of that. I'm a camera guy. But over here, the fighters, every shot they can take is someone else taking it. Oh, he faked an injury. If he really wanted to fight, he just taped his ankle up like I did. The fuck? You're undercutting yourself. You're hurting your own cause because you don't like this guy. Dana White doesn't like anybody, everybody on his side, but he'll shut the fuck up and get the money. And that's why they're always going to be one step ahead of them. Yeah, um, I'm not going to touch a comment about black people. That's basically that. That's that's the crab mentality that, that that you're talking about. That's a stereotype for another conversation for another day. But I but you, you want to talk about it, but you knew what I said when I said it. You're like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're 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 talking about the crab mentality. The crab the crab crabs in the barrel. Where if you're cooking crabs and if you leave the top open, if one tries to escape, the others will pull it back down, trying to crawl out. Crawl out. Like that's the that's the mentality behind the theory. But um. I mean, yeah, like that's that's just the game that they're in right now. They're they're pit against one another, not only inside the cage but also outside of the cage, and um, the promoters benefit off of that. It's it's a situation that isn't going to change anytime soon, and that's what the situation that we're in. This is why we're looking at a, a fight that should not be getting made, and it also it also means that they have no faith in Amanda Nunez being a big enough draw or putting a strong enough card around her because she was scheduled to be the main event of that of that card. So there, there's also that conversation about that. You have the greatest women's fighter of all time and you can't build a strong enough card around her 
that people will be interested in and seeing. Nope. So that's also another part of it. But there's really a lot to unpack there. This fight, it could be a fight that could that they could be making, but the interim title doesn't need it, it just doesn't need to happen. And it, it's 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 a little it's, it's a foolish bit and we know what it is. They can say whatever they want, but we know that these titles don't mean what they said. Imagine if Gan if Ganyu wins, imagine that. Training partner of Nganu, now interim champ against the real champ, fighting dominant strikers, fighting with heavyweight supremacy. If either way, even if Derek Lewis wins it, interim champ already beat the champ fighting for heavyweight supremacy. No lose for them. No lose for them. We're, we're good either way. And he'd be he would win the title in his hometown. So yep. I mean there's also that as well, too. Uh, so, Sean, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on this week? Let's go ahead and close out the show. Also, well, last thing I want to talk about. Did you see the story about, because it kind of it links to what we were just talking about. Did you see the story about Sarah Alpar and her GoFundMe? That shit was embarrassing. Dude, so, <laughs> terrible. So here's my question, because Jake Paul donated. She hit her goal. I think last I checked, she was at like 34000 Her goal yep. was 30000 Who's next? Who's going to do this next? Like, who is going to um, ask for a, a GoFundMe to help them put together a fight camp? What happens if she gets hurt before this fight camp? Does she give that money back? Because that happens all the time. What happens if she catches COVID? If she can't fight? Does she give that money back? Like, yeah. there's such a slippery slope with this. And then again, it all, and then this is my other question. Sarah, are you going to be, are you going to use your voice now to stand up for Fighter pay? Probably not. But you're a clear example of someone who needs to have that conversation because you're asking for money to help you do your job. You're asking people to give you money so you can go to work. Dude, I, I have another angle. I have another angle. You know how NBA fans yell at NBA players and say, we like, you know, because they think they own them or NFL players, right? They do that. If I'm a fan and I pay good money, you give me a shitty fight and you talk about the shitty fans, I'm going to be like, dude, you literally... Owe me your job. You couldn't yeah. do your job without without my investment. You can't even when I, when you when the other guys say we don't own you. Okay, the money goes through a bunch of different ways. We send the money directly to you. Mm -hmm. So so don't tell me about I don't have to listen to the fans. I don't fight for the fans. If you don't fight for the fans. We literally made it possible for you to survive to do your job. Well, you should yeah. out of the kindness of your heart. What? What? Yes. Literally, and, and that's just such a slippery slope that uh, I'm wondering who's going to be next. Who's going to try next? So we I mean, can... we've had, we had issues before. Carla Sparza was trying to sell her mic from yep. Tuff. Those stories just died very quick. What was it? Pat, Pat uh, the head, like, heavyweight, was talking about he was homeless and selling stuff so he could make money. Like, this is a common occurrence, dude. This is a very common. And the UFC loves it because we don't have to pay these people more. The fans will pay them. The fans will take care of it. We can keep our budgets real nice, real nice and low because the fans are just bailing out. And I don't know, dude. This 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 could get really out of hand real quick. If I if I'm a fighter, all I'm doing is talking to fans. Fans, fan, every podcast I can perform, everything I can show for, I'm showing up. I'm I'm making sure they know they have access to me because clearly the fans. This is a sport. The fans actually make this sport move. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. like, no other sport can say that. The fans actually dictate what happens in this sport. If enough fans demanded Nagano Jones, oh, you get it. All you got to do is not buy this pay-per-view. They don't talk shit, but if it moves the needle, he will give you what you want. 
you just gotta you, you just gotta make the point. That's true, there, sir. Uh, well, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on this week? Um, go ahead and have your time, sir. I actually was supposed to already be done with my Black Widow piece. I got it done, but then something happened with my email on my Google Drive, and it did not save on my computer, did nor did it save on my Google Drive. So now I have to knock it out in the next day or so, so Michael will have enough time to have it ready either early in the day for the debut or in the evening of the debut of the movie. So I have somehow managed to screw myself tremendously on this because I meant to have this done two weeks ago. And I have not, well, I had it done, and then I just lost it. So I'm not looking forward to doing this over again because it, it was fun the first time. <laughs> it's not nice. But hopefully it'll be a big piece. It should be, I'm expecting it to do kind of the Captain America, Melinda May type numbers because a lot of my uh, comic book stuff has been picking up steam as another big movie comes out. So hopefully this will catch that wave and we'll get another big pop from it. Yeah, man, I think some, some um, good stuff. Uh, I am doing the same, covering as much pro wrestling as possible. There's a lot kind of going on. I will be doing, I got to get back on the podcast. I'll probably be doing a show early in the mornings now on Thursdays to kind of free up some of my evening a little bit better. But we'll see how that goes starting tomorrow. But yeah, there's a lot really going on in the world of professional wrestling, MMA, combat sports as a whole. This is going to be a busy summer. We have four straight weeks of UFC bouts starting this weekend. Or next weekend, excuse me. Uh, four straight weeks. Shawan, are you doing anything for the holiday? Uh, probably helping somebody do something. I literally spend my life literally serving other people. When they say, like, helpful, that is literally me. Definition is my face next to the word helpful in the dictionary. Well, you can be helpful. I'll, I, I will be intoxicated starting probably Friday around 3 o'clock. Maybe. I didn't. I, I didn't know if you were trying to do some advertising. You had like little arms out ready, like, "Hey, ladies." Nope. Nope. Not, look, <laughs> Friday. Friday is going to be dinner with friends, drinking. Saturday, uh, going. I don't know how, but they have some inside golf, uh, like a mini golf thing. I'm going to be drunk doing that on Saturday. Sunday, I am drinking by the pool, and Monday, I may hang out with. Uh, Go to lunch with some friends. I'll probably be hungover and be day drinking on Monday as well, too. So because the next four weeks are all UFC events and I'm working all of them. And those are all my Saturdays. So we're going to we're going to. I don't have I don't have much time for fun. So I'm essentially living through you. So do whatever. Do whatever I got. I've been busy training a lot of kids. So I I got at least probably good 1500, 2000 get stuff and get it over to you. Get you out. What did Michael Jordan say? Oh, shit. I, Fuck them I, kids. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking, but I can't remember exactly. Fuck them kids. We're gonna, and that's what we're going to close out on. So we'll be back here next week uh, for another episode, episode 211. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to the show. Please, be free, please feel free to like, share, and subscribe. That always helps us out. We got to get our overall subscription numbers up. So, again, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to the show. And we'll be back next week. Everyone have a great night. Have a great evening, everybody.